Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Actors Room, part two of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Here we go. My brother Dave is with me once again. Hey, Dave. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Doing, uh, feeling yeah. good about this episode, right? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, of all the ones we've done, uh, I like what you said in the first part. Doing your research on Hoffman and realizing that now you appreciate and love him even more than you did before. And that's saying something. Well, yeah, I already love the guy. And you're like adding on to it because we're learning right. more about him as a person. Him as a person as well as his body of work, you know, I mean. Watching a little bit more of his performances. Right. Watching them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, before we watched him, it just went, wow, great, what a great actor. He doesn't miss a scene or he's just mm-hmm. an amazing talent. But doing research and concentrating on one person throughout the week or two that we've done research, you really start looking more into not only their performances, but we're going to bring this up about who they really are as a person. What drives them? How did they grow up? Uh, who is their significant other? How do they feel about life? How about their kids? You know, we'll talk about that later. You know, he had three kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's what's so special about this show. Um, I listen to other shows about actors and uh, just other shows, period, where you have you, most podcasts have either a group of people or, you know, two people doing a podcast and reacting off of one another. And all they're doing, like, in the first 20 minutes of some of these shows is it just, like, bullshit. <laughs> they talk about their life. They, they, they're giggling, feeling all special. We, we giggle R- here but, <laughs> but, once in a while. And maybe you know. some people like to hear that stuff. And maybe we do that in our show, like, in between what we're talking about as an actor. But this show is about these special people, what they've done in their life, okay? And that's important because as a society, we appreciate art. It's a diversion from our lives. Mm-hmm. And actors, as glorious as their lives seem to us, they're doing all these great things. They're living this special life, okay? It's, take that away. They're still human beings. Okay, they're a great actor. They're a great singer, Oh, I love this band. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes, who they are. So I really want you to listen to this show and appreciate the fact that we love talking about these guys, diving into their lives. So we're going to continue talking about this great man. And you know what, folks? I think he was a great man. He had his demons. Yeah. Who doesn't? He yeah. had some pretty well, nasty ones, though. Am I right? Yeah, they're pretty deep. I mean... Pretty deep. And being an addict, I guess that's just the way it goes. It's just who your your makeup is like. I mean, is it a family thing? Is it just... Well, I, I think... Well, let, let, let's get to that. Let's, we'll get to that more yeah. later on. Because at this point, um, you know, he's sober. He, he, at he this spent, point, we just you know, got done we, talking about Almost Famous, right? Right. And that was in the year... Do, 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 do. 2000. 2000. So... He is right in the middle of his sobriety. Yeah, he, he's doing fine. He, yeah, you know, in interviews, you hear them talk to him about, you know, do you take drugs or you know, and act as an or, actor, you just do. You know, they bring that up, and he's always just like, nah, I don't do that. I can't. Mm. I can't. And uh, this lady brought it up that when you see people having a drink, like you go out, and somebody has a glass of wine, 
are you jealous? He's like, no. He goes, because it, that doesn't make sense to me. These people that can sit down and have one or two glasses of wine and then walk away, he goes, that, I can't do that. Yeah. He goes, I, why not drink the whole bottle? That makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay? I, yep. That's how he felt. He's like, I can't do that. So we're going to talk more about that later. 2000, we left off Almost Famous. Let's move on. Uh, a small role he played, another PTA movie that the both of us sort of just aren't that a big fan of. My right, uh, Adam right. Sandler, right. Punch Drunk Love. It was very like slow moving, I remember. I really didn't get into it. I just, I couldn't really, I didn't care about Adam Sandler. One of his worst performances, I think. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> he tried to go all serious, he, maybe. Yeah, and he, I think he has succeeded before, uh, or maybe it was after, uh, you know, um, um, Oh shit! I can't think of the movie. Was there a movie he did in a serious role before that? Um, so I'm trying to think if he did a serious role, besides this one. Did he? Maybe he did before that. I can't I, think I, of it. I, I'm not sure. But we're talking about Punch Drunk Love on a scale of one to ten, maybe a four, a five <laughs> for me. Yeah. A, a lot yeah. of people disagree. They oh, love yeah, this they, movie. There's a lot of people who love it. And that's, oh yeah. That's fine. I mean, it just wasn't for me. As far as PTA goes, this is my least favorite of his films and I think he's brilliant there's a lot to talk about with PTA and you get a small role from Phil in this movie PTA included him again and he plays like what is his character do you remember like he's in like this warehouse Mm -hmm. on the phone with Sandler right and Sandler is slighted and calls him up and they're just yelling at each other back and forth and he's like shut 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 (laughs) shut shut up and like, Adam Sandler's just ripping him a new one. And like, he tells him to fuck off. He's like, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. Did you just tell me to fuck off? He goes, that was the wrong thing to do. And he like hangs up the phone. But like we mentioned earlier, you see that explosion from him. He's good at it. Actors like, Gary, good like at it. Gary Oldman, when he would go off, you're mm-hmm. scared a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have your 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 big dogs that do that, like a Jack Nicholson or yeah. a De Niro. Right. Who are very scary. Like they if you're that be. actor on the other side of that, yeah. You know, uh, it's a little intimidating. It's it's scary, I'm sure. When you see somebody go off and they're really doing it, yeah, they're not faking. Right. Like you said, it, it could be scary for everybody on set. Including any actors around you. I don't think there was anybody around Phil in this scene. Uh, but, whoa. Yeah, you need a moment. I know, um, I think it was uh, Greg Kinnear when he was talking about Jack Nicholson's performance in As Good As It Gets. Yeah. Kinnear even mentioned, he's like, you know, when Jack Nicholson's yelling at you, he's like, afterwards, you kind of take a moment to yourself. And you're just like, like oh, oh, <laughs> you know, like, I need a minute. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. I imagine it's the same kind of thing maybe with Hoffman and he's yelling at you. You probably like afterwards just like, like shit, I feel like a little kid or something, you know. Yeah, and he displayed that here in a very small role in Punch Drunk Love, a movie we adore. And we're gonna move on to Adore. Oh, we do. I'm being sarcastic. Um <laughs> I was still talking about Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> All right, man. Um the next one on our list we want to talk about. Along Came Polly. A great comedy. I love it. My wife and I, we watch it. We just love it. I know. A lot of people don't. I'll be honest with you. It seems like a lot of people really don't have a whole lot 
uh, of good ratings on this movie, but uh, I, I, I've always liked it. I, ben Stiller, I think, is funny. Is and, it that because it's corny, maybe? Yeah, I'm sure it's very corny. What, a Ben Stiller movie but is entertaining. It, I'm it, sorry. Yeah, I think he's funny, and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman really kind of shows how funny he can be and not take himself maybe as seriously as he does with almost every other film. <laughs> he's fucking he's hilarious so in this movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he honestly he makes the movie, like it, yeah, it he probably does. wouldn't have yeah. been as funny. Oh my god! <laughs> because this role is he has so many great lines. Oh my god, the the friend he's like the, a burnout child actor who's still right? living off the coattails of his success. Oh my like, god! Didn't he have like an e true Hollywood story like? But it was walking? fake. It was fake. Like he yeah. was paying them. I know it to was... have them follow him around. I sharted? Is it? Yeah, I mean, we, we, how we many people that said sharted after that? Oh, yeah. And uh, the elevator scene when he's like a fucking crowded elevator. He's like, God, I'm so fucking horny. <laughs> I know. I mean, hey, there aren't many comedic roles that he has done, unfortunately. But you could tuck this one away, folks. Yeah. You may not like the movie. He nails it. But he nails it once again. Wow. And what is his character's name? Sandy it? Lyle. <laughs> Sandy Sandy Lyle. <laughs> uh, I don't, hey, I don't care, man. I, I hold that performance very highly. I just do. And we referenced him in the, what, best supporting comedic yeah, role? We, we brought up this character yeah. during our best, yeah, yeah, our favorite. So that's saying something. We hold it very high. A supporting role... Uh, I just do. And so does Dave. We wanted to bring that one up. Um, next, we got to talk about this big one. Now, I talked to Dave about this yesterday. Um, I'm not a big fan of Truman Capote. Um, not a lot of people are. I mean, okay, let me take that back. I think a lot of people are. Of course. But there are some that just did not like Truman Capote. Um, he was a ruthless kind of little guy. Uh, little guy. Uh, but he had a lot to say. He had a lot of charisma, very smart, very talented writer, okay? And I want to bring up Truman for a brief moment. Uh, the last episode I did in the actor's room, I mentioned that in every episode in the future, I will dedicate a little portion of the show talking about Marlon Brando because he is a, the reason why I started this podcast. I wanted to talk about Brando. There's a lot of things to say about Brando because he was just a larger-than-life character, a lot going on. So we'll do that right now. Truman Capote didn't like actors. He hated actors. He felt they were stupid, dumb. He called Brando as dumb as a lamppost. Yeah, well... Okay? <laughs> but he's wrong. And he knew, no, yeah, okay? Well. But that's what he felt, okay? They didn't really bring a lot to the table in terms of art. I disagree. And maybe yeah. that's why I don't like him. Probably. He, okay. He Probably. threw Brando under the fucking bus. When <laughs> there was a point in Brando's career where he did not talk to the press. He just didn't. He didn't like it. So Truman Capote cornered him one night, found out where Brando was, came up to his room with a bottle of vodka, and sat all night talking to Brando off the record, talking oh. about his life and blah, blah, blah. Brando opened up because he was thought he was just talking. Yeah. Bad call. Truman Capote wrote a, 
an article in a magazine about Brando, uh, the Duke of his domain. And Brando found out about this and was like, holy shit. I thought this guy was my friend. And yeah. That's what Truman would do. Is like he would do anything he had to do to get the story. He would con you, okay? So anyways, had to place a Brando little tidbit there. So I did that. <laughs> We're going to move on talking about, because I'm going to tell you something. This guy was a little shit. Yeah. He might have been brilliant. Yeah. Now, do you know anything about Truman? Not as much as you do. Okay. No. All right. I this mean... movie is based around his most famous book. It's called In Cold Blood. I don't, if you don't know anything about this story, there were two guys that went in and slaughtered a family in Kansas. Truman Capote thought he would go out there to Kansas and write a story about it. That's what he did. He dedicated a good portion of his time to get the scoop, to write a good article. And in the process, found out a lot about himself, about life and death. And this is where we get to Capote and Philip Seymour Hoffman giving us the performance of his life. It won him an Academy Award. Now, is this his greatest performance? A lot of people will say yes. This is why. He became Truman. Folks, yeah. he's mean, bigger than Truman. <laughs> he's much bigger than Truman. As um, much weight as he did lose he to, did. to play this role. Right. Um, I mean, he's still a big guy in, yeah. in a sense. Like, yeah. He got as slim as possible. Right. But, you know, still not, not as small as Capote was, which, no. <laughs> which you could look past, I guess. Right. You right. could. Now, how did this film get started? Do you know that story? Well, his friends. Yes. That he knew in the since, summer stock, since right? 16, 17 years old. I find that so great. That's amazing. How someone as big as Philip was at this time, he never forgot his friends. Mm-hmm. They came to him with this idea. <coughs> and w- the director, and um, his name was. Uh, give me a second. I'm no, that's sorry. okay. I just mentioned it in the last episode. But, uh, yeah. Do you have it? Anyways, uh, I suck. His friend brought this. There were a couple of people actually that he knew back in the day, and in the summer stock, they got together. It was basically an idea right off the bat. Bennett Miller. Bennett Miller. Okay, got an idea. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. And he even said, Phil said, I mean, it's really hard when you're working with your friends. It has great intentions, but getting off the ground, it usually doesn't happen. Yeah. This one did. Yeah. He said, we worked well together. We yelled at each other when we had to. Yeah, okay? I mean. <laughs> it's going to happen. You get your, um, when you're working together on a project, you're going to have disagreements about stuff. That's of healthy. Of course. If you're ag- agreeing on everything. It, uh, probably it, not good. It's not good. You got to have disagreements. They did. They made it work. And look what happened. What a successful film. It worked. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say about, I mean, you mentioned he lost some weight. Okay, and the toughest part for him getting into this role was nailing that voice. Yeah, that no voice kidding. is so annoying. It, it, that's how he sounded. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, it's always hard for an actor to play someone who is, you know, a real person. Yes, and this is a tough one, though, man. I mean, this is people, tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You have some great performances of real people like 
Jamie Foxx and Ray. Yeah, which he um, did really well. Oh, wow. absolutely. That's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is Johnny Cash. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Carrey is Kaufman. Yeah. But in Capote's so much harder than some of these other roles we've mentioned because he's so, I mean, that voice alone. Yeah, intimidated to take on that role. It sounds fake. You're just like, no, that's not a real person. Yeah. And if, when you, yeah. if you watch a real interview with the actual Capote and, or you watch a documentary or some of these, you're just like, oh, it's really how he sounded. Yeah, I know. Wow. That was no bullshit. That, that, uh, that's pretty bizarre. Yeah. And, and to take on a role like that. Wow. It, it, he it, said it took like three months to just get comfortable with the no fact kidding. of playing that role. And he said the hardest part was the voice, of course. Of course. And Phil said that if there was one thing he was really bad at is doing accents, which I found interesting. There are some mm. actors that are really good at accents. Yeah. It's a part of a talent of an actor, you know, they just have. Phil didn't have that. So he really struggled with getting that voice perfect. Yeah. Really worked on it. So for him, that was really hard to do. Well, I'm a little confused now. Okay. He wasn't able to... Well, okay. He says he wasn't good at it. Accents are one thing, maybe, but when, you know, he was playing um, in Boogie Nights, uh, you know... The gay character there, or in Flawless, like yeah. he was playing someone gay, because those are two different voices, by the way. Yeah, they are. I mean, he they was are. playing someone who is a transvestite. Gay in both of them, yes, but they were two different voices. They were. So he was able to transform his voice fairly well, obviously. Right. But it was a struggle for him to nail it. But for some people, it comes easy. Okay. For him, it wasn't. No kidding. And another thing he hated to do was sing. He hated to sing. Okay. He said his voice was so low. He just, when you listen to him talk in an interview, you can tell he does have a very low voice and he drops his voice sometimes. He goes, it talks like this. Yeah. It's... It goes down. Mm-hmm. That's just the way he talks naturally. So it's hard for him. He had to go from that low register to a high register with Truman. And by God, pulls it off, wins an Academy Award. And we have to talk about his acceptance speech for just a brief moment. Great speech. He's very nervous. I love this. <laughs> I do. I yeah, mean, it, it's real. It's real. He got up there, and let's talk about the people he was nominated with Joaquin Phoenix and Walk the Line. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Um, he was also up against, my gosh, who else was he up against? Oh, my gosh. It's escaping me right now. But, anyways. That accepted speech was just pure fill. He stammered around, stuttered, uh, said, uh, and, uh, a lot. Okay. And then he thanked his mom at the Uh end, which was really cute. And if you watch, I'm telling you to go on YouTube and watch the acceptance speech. There's a point where they show a back shot of him and they show the audience watching him give this speech. And there is, look out for Matt Dillon. He's very in the middle, but you get a good shot of him. He has his mouth wide open. I mean, he's just watching Phil like, wow. (laughs) In awe. In awe of him. Yeah. It just goes to show, like, there are some actors that, like, look up to him so much. Like, just watching him talk about getting that, you know, Oscar and standing up there. He was just like, wow. 
And then Phil gave like this little cute little moment where he like made a joke. And then Matt, Dil- Matt Dillon goes, huh, you see him laughing. Like he's just enjoying the speech. Matt Dillon? Matt or Dillon. Matt, not Matt Damon? No, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted yeah. to make sure. Yeah, it was Matt Dillon. Okay. It was a very cute moment. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I love I love Matt Dillon. Me too. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm a big fan. And, uh, and he loves Phil. Who doesn't? That's what I'm... Yeah, we, we talked about this already. He was very well respected among all of his colleagues. So, uh, high respect for Capote. We're going to move on to the next one. What's the next one? We have uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. We want to mention that because he worked with Ethan Hawke. And uh, Ethan Hawke had some touching things to say about Phil. He worked with him. And the one thing he said was he compared him to uh, Robin Williams, another actor that Ethan worked with in uh, Dead Poets Society. And he said, both of these actors did something very similar when, when I worked with them. He goes, you have these great talents. You work with them and they're just doing amazing things. And you're, you're just blessed to be around them. And then they yell cut and you sort of, take a step back and you get comfortable. And he said, I would sit there and I look over at Robin and he's just in a world of his own dealing with shit, just dealing with stuff. And then when I worked with Phil, he did the same thing. I took a step back. I sat down, I looked over at Phil and he he was doing the same thing. He closed off and he was just dealing with shit. Focused. Focused, but dealing with life. And he also, and this is Ethan, brought up River Phoenix, another very talented young man who died too soon. Drugs. <clears throat> How sad. These brilliant minds and dealing with life. And Ethan brought this up. The humanity of the art form of acting is that it goes beyond just the character and the art. There's life involved. And what you get from those great performances is them. You see a part of them, they bring that out in their work. And that's why we love them and we learn yeah. so much from them. There's something about Ethan Hawke, and I have to do some more research on him. Um, he does a lot of uh, stage work too. Mm. I think even he has a, a theater troupe. Um, these are very dedicated artists. And so maybe somebody I might want to look into in the future, yeah. Ethan Hawke. So I wanted to bring that up. Um, the next film though... Charlie Wilson's War is, I think, pretty close to an epic film. <laughs> it is. He's and he's, so good. And, and Tom Hanks is the main character. But, whoa, folks. Does Philip Seymour Hoffman, and we talked about this earlier, I think this is his best acting. I can't, yeah, I can't disagree with you, man. He's fucking intense. And he's just... Like a, uh, can't yeah, wait to see him. A different kind of character and how he looks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like he looks... I mean, it looks so kind of different, you know, with the mustache yeah. and glasses and his hair is a little, it's darker and stuff. Like he, yeah. you know. The, 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 I, I mentioned to you earlier how he busted out the window mm. when he had the confrontation with that guy in the office. Yeah. And he sort of went into that. Going into that scene, I'm going to fight him. It's going to be a fight. And he went into it that way. And then I say that because after that, and he breaks out the window, he's walking away. And he goes to the secretary. How did I do? Yeah. It was an act. Okay? And then my favorite scene in that movie is when he meets Tom Hanks' character for the very first time. And they have to talk about the situation overseas. And Tom Hanks has this other thing going on, like this scandal. 
and he has his secretary sort of working that out. So he has Phil come into his office. Yeah. They're, they're talking about what they have to talk about. And, and like something, go. I gotta go. And like, <laughs> yeah, Phil would leave. <laughs> And yeah. then he'd come back in. Yeah. They're talking. He's got to leave again. And like, I think for the third time, like Phil's like, okay, I'll just go. And like, he just leaves. Like, he doesn't <laughs> even have to be told to leave. He just leaves. That's a great scene between two Titan actors. Yeah. You know, really oh, great yeah. scene. And I really like this movie, Charlie Wilson's War. Um, the next film is a film that we can't pronounce. <laughs> well, we're going to try. I'm going to try it. Cinda Doshe. New York. And this is a film written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, that weird guy that did Being John Malkovich. In an adaptation. This is a truly deep guy. This was a hard film. It's, a, it's weird. Phil even says uh, there were a lot of people that just couldn't understand it. Yeah, well, I was one of them. Yeah, this was um, a tough one to watch. There was so much going on, at this, and I just I felt so detached from the characters. Yeah. That was my biggest problem. I was like, watching it. And, like, Amy walked in, my wife. She's like, oh, Phil, you must be doing him this week. I'm like, yeah, because this is, like, the third film I was watching. <laughs> and she sat down for two minutes. She goes, I can't do this. Bye. Yeah. It was weird. Well. Very weird. <laughs> it, that's I, I, Charlie Kaufman for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I want your opinions on this. Those who want to leave comments about this movie. I mean, it's deep. It's weird. But Phil goes through the ringer, and he appreciated this film. Charlie Kaufman film, and we can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to say it again. But that was in the year 2007, and we'll move on to a, just a great movie. I didn't even know about this movie until a couple of weeks ago. This was a play. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And they turned it into a movie called Doubt. That was right after the New York movie in 2008. Do you want to talk about this movie a little bit? I know you saw it recently, just like me. What is your thought about, did he do it or didn't he do it? I think that's the question. If you, He plays a priest. Yeah, and I think that's the best part of this movie is that you don't know. Yeah, every, all the viewers are left to decide uh, what they want to believe. Yeah. Now, and and, and I, I don't know. You don't know. There's a lot of scenes where you're just like, no, he didn't do it. Right. Maybe, Maybe he did. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's um, the brilliance of the movie. Is he just really caring for this this kid who, um, you know, he's uh, he's a black kid who right. is like the only, he's or the first the black bl- kid first in black school. Student. Yeah. And um, is he just trying to be kind? Right. Give him special attention. Yeah. Or was he taking advantage of him? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what makes this film so great. Great is writing. You just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a great script. It is written by um, John Patrick Shanley. Yes, who also wrote and directed, which is the only other film he directed. Mm-hmm. Do you know this one? I I did research. And I forget what was it. Joe versus the yeah, volcano. Yeah, he mentioned that. Uh, what? <laughs> I know. I did that too. I was like, am I reading this correctly? <laughs> um, so it's it's a real big leap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you right, know, right. like two different genres and. Uh, it, the the director told Hoffman just like he did for the and I don't know who was the the who I don't know who played that character during the Broadway show right but he was he did tell him whether he did it or not I, I found that interesting and and I don't know yeah they asked Phil about that he go 
do you know if you did it or not? I mean... He's like, yeah, I do know. He goes, of course I did. But... <laughs> of course I do. Yeah, he knows, but it's like one of those secret things where you don't know if he did or not. Phil knows, the writer knows, and that's it. I find that interesting because they asked him, did did Meryl know? Meryl Streep's in the movie. And he's like, no, that would make no sense. Right. She shouldn't know. Right. I do, (laughs) but they don't. It's... I find that great. It's such a, it's a, it's kind of a slow movie... To begin with. It is, But, it, yeah. I mean, it picks up with this whole of, like, well, what's going on here? Yeah. And Meryl Streep, obviously, uh, is amazing. Meryl Streep. Um, Amy Adams is also uh, in this. Love her, too. Um, Hoffman said he would back out if they did not cast Amy Adams in this movie. Yeah, they were very so close. So he was very adamant of getting her cast. Yeah. Uh, and she does a great job. She's um, fantastic. And that's, these are the kind of movies I really like. Yeah. Because... The characters are so rich, and the acting is so strong. Oh, yeah. Um, and the story is solid. It's just well done. So I know we're probably maybe talking about this a little too much. No, but that's okay. But before we move on, what do you think? Um, do you think he did it? <laughs> no, I, and honestly, I, that's that's the thing. I you really don't, don't know. know. Hmm. That's what I love about this movie is, like, you, you're... You're it, teetered it, back and forth of, like... I'm doing this to you right now. I'm putting a gun to your head. You have to make a decision. Whoa! I would say he probably did. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's only because right. uh, that the one line he does give to Meryl Streep is when he's like, "Did you ever do a, you ever committed a sin?" Mm-hmm. You know, like he seemed like he was guilty of something. Yep, they, they they delve into his past, like Amy Adams' character. Didn't no, she? No, no, no. Meryl Streep's character Char- does, okay. but she lied about it. She did. Like it was a lie. So, and that's where. But they were trying was, to bring something up. She was, yeah, she was trying to see if he was guilty of possibly right. doing something again. Right. And that's where he you may have. have. Yeah, that was. But you just don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't. But brilliant. And, and even brilliant. Meryl Streep at the end is just like, I have my doubt. I don't yeah. know, and she, she breaks down. And, and that's where it's so. It's it's a good film, man. Wow. And I believe he was nominated for for that. He was. He was. Now I think he was nominated a total of four times, and. Only one win with Capote. Okay. Uh, lightly touching on The Invention of Lying just because it was just a great cameo. I love that movie. Uh, Ricky Gervais, right? That was his film. Uh, just a clever movie. And he has a small role as a bartender in that movie. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was a good good little cameo. Uh, moving on, he did his uh, only directing in a movie called uh, Jack Goes Boating. And that was in 2010. Uh, that's of note. And uh, Moneyball, of course, is a big movie. Brad Pitt film. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, he plays Art Howe, the love, manager. Love that movie. And and uh, Phillips said that Art Howe was not happy with uh, how he was portrayed. Oh. Yeah. And Phil apologized. He said, listen, I did the role. I didn't write it. So yeah. I, I'm sorry if you're offended. It's a movie. That's what happens. But, you know, he kind of <laughs> apologized for that. He didn't have to. That's solid. <laughs> You know, but he was a big baseball fan, so I'm sure he was like, "I'm sorry." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I didn't kidding, think right? I would offend you because I mean, he did play him. So yeah. I, mean, I mean, when you are playing pre- a real yeah. person and that 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 person's not happy with no. your performance, he's probably be like, "Holy shit, I, I mean, gotta." Yeah, I mean, you are portraying a real person, and someone watching this movie is like, "Oh, that's how <clears throat> Art How is." 
But that's not the case. Yeah. That may not be how Art Howe is. But in the movie, that's how he's portrayed. And, like, the broader audience now sees Art Howe as that. And if that's not him, then that's hard to take. So, hey. Wasn't his character kind of against the whole idea yes, of Yes. He, he was kind of a prick. He was. He came off in a bad light. He well, did. But... Getting away from Moneyball. <laughs> just wanted to touch on that. I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's art good. in life. Yeah. Here we go. Gotta talk about this one. Oh, my God. I was going to dedicate a whole episode to this. I watched this for the second time on the 4th of July of this year. I put it in. Um, what a movie. Um, Deep. Another PTA movie. This is centered, or the inspiration was Scientology, folks. Okay. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, Phil and PA, PTA are adamant on this. It was an idea. It doesn't mean it's L. Ron Hubbard. They stated that firmly. He goes, that was the, the general idea, but I'm not playing L. Ron Hubbard. He made that statement. He goes, I yeah. took it and I made it my own. This is a totally fictitious character in The Master. He plays a cult leader. They don't like to call it a cult. I do. And you, <laughs> oh my God. When, we, when you talk about Scientology, I, <coughs> my ears get red. Okay, but this movie, you got Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Fucking, I mean, there are scenes between the two of them that are so... Moment to moment, there's a scene where they do a exercise where you're reacting off of one another. Very similar to what we learned at the Playhouse. Repetition. You go back and forth and you come up with answers or reactions right off the bat. And you don't blink. You blink, we start over. Mm. And they're going back and forth with dialogue. I don't know how much it was improv. I think some of it was. But you get some fantastic moment-to-moment acting between the two of them. I hold both of those guys. Phoenix, every time I see him act more and more, I'm impressed. I can't wait for the Joker movie. Yeah. When is that coming out? Um, I don't know. Uh, Soon, I think. I can't wait. I'll look it up. Joaquin Phoenix is blowing me away with his progression as an actor in the two of them, in this movie, The Master, let's put it plainly. They act their asses off in this movie. <clears throat> now, do you have a, a date that uh, the Joker might be released here? <laughs> October 2019. Oh, boy. October it's, 4th. It's coming soon. And it looks... When I first heard about it, I was like... I wasn't sure, like, how many uh, different how many, versions yeah. of the Joker do we need? And I saw the preview, and I was like, Whoa. this looks really good. Yes. This yes. looks really good. I can't wait. Um, it's a different spin on the Joker. I know we're getting a little off topic. No, no, but, that's okay. Uh, uh, I hey, can't wait to see it because I too. think Joaquin is fucking genius. I I do too. I I he really, really do. Is. Um, He's good. I I I look at what River Phoenix was as an actor <clears throat> and how different they are. How River? I mean, he gave us a small sample because he died so soon. Yeah. But I mean, what a talent that. Joaquin is becoming. God bless him. We're gonna move on from the master. I could talk. I could talk about that movie for a while. Yeah. So we're gonna good. move on to the next big one. What do you got? Um. Well, well he that, did the. Go ahead. No. Go. No. You go. 
What is there a next big one? Well, the next I have is the trilogy of the Hunger Games. Right. Okay. And, and then we're kind of gonna delve into. Should Should we go and uh, reference this year, two thousand twelve? This is a significant year in his life. Yeah. And why is that? Yeah. Um, twenty twelve. He he did the Broadway show Death of a Salesman, and uh, it was pretty draining mm-hmm. for him emotionally draining and this is when he decided maybe i'll start drinking yeah he mentioned it to his wife yeah that he wanted to have a drink would that be okay Uh oh (laughs) and uh during these not during after these shows of death of the salesman Mm -hmm. in the evening he would have a drink Mm -hmm. you know go to the bar have some drinks and that's kind of where it starts you know he was sober for 23 years wow it's a long time to, you know, be dedicated. Completely off of any drug or alcohol. That's hard. Oh, yeah. Not even a sip. I'm sure he struggled every day. And for the most part. What happened in 2012? <sighs> what is it? What do you think made him want to have a drink? I, that's, that's a great question. That could be the million dollar question because. Um, well, let's take a look. In 2000, maybe 11, when he did The Master, did something happen in that movie? I don't know. Um, I... Because after The Master, PTA didn't have him in his next production. He did every PTA movie before that. Now, Phil says nothing happened. Well, did something happen? Between PTA and Phil. Maybe not. I don't think that would have anything to, to do to with... To do with... No, I don't think so. Um, I think it was... I think it was that show. And I think it was probably some other things. You think it was Death of a Salesman? Um, that pushed him over the I, edge in some way? Yeah. And I think something else happened in his life. Someone close to him passed away. Okay. Um, I think it was just a rough time. Uh and he just decided, I'm going to have a drink. And he would think it was harmless. Like, what's the big deal? What's wrong with having a drink? In yes. moderation, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. The problem is, he wasn't able to do things in moderation. Right. He dealt. So, it all kind of spiraled down after that. Once you have that first drink, anything's possible. He started doing... Prescription drugs, but I don't even think they were his prescription drugs. Yeah, his wife said she had no idea how he was getting them. But all of a sudden, he was doing, like, what would you say? Vicodin? Uh, uh, yeah. Painkillers. Yeah, opioids. Okay. Opiates. Opiates. Um, and then I think once he started doing that, his wife started to really get worried. Because he would deny it. She knew he was taking them. And he would say... Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. But she knew that he was. And what did that lead to? Um, what do you think is next up? Rehab. Yep. He checked himself in. I, I, he came out, and I think the wife said it lasted three days. He was <clears> back <throat> to drinking, back to opiates. And then, of course, the big one. Heroin. And once he started <clears> doing <throat> heroin again, that's when his wife was counting the days. She was very concerned, and it got to the point where he actually moved out. Yeah, 
He got an apartment in the same building, or was it nearby? The apartment was actually <clears throat> a space he had already rented out to uh, work. So he can, you know, he had three kids at this point. He <clears throat> yes. needed a space to just kind of call his workspace so he can go mm-hmm. and read scripts and memorize lines or whatever. This little safe place. Yeah. His so haven. It was close by, and he just, you know decided it was probably best if he just hey move in there if he's doing heroin you don't want to be around kids no and his wife knew that i think she probably well, suggested wife, it not his wife oh, i always say his wife yeah. i and, always and they're, they're, i mean let's get serious i mean they're kind of married right they know, just don't they have were, the paperwork right <laughs> um it's this it's so it's, i w- so oh. go ahead um I'm, I'm just trying to get the timeline right <sighs> because uh you look at, he started in 2012, drinking. Yeah, and in 2013 was uh, a Hunger seemed like a lot of in and out of rehab, rehab, and you know he, in in the fall of 2013, he went back to rehab. He was sober for three months. Right. And but by January or so, he was using heroin again, oh. and this was during. The filming of the last Hunger Games. Right. <clears throat> in, in Atlanta, was it? Yeah. 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 And near the end of January, he came back to New York City. And by February 2nd, 2014, he was supposed to pick up his kids. Mm-hmm. And he didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So his longtime girlfriend, Mimi... She called his friend David Barkatz mm-hmm. and said, go check on him. Mm-hmm. And so Barkatz and Hoffman's assistant went to go check on him and found him dead in the bathroom. Dead in the bathroom with a, a syringe in his yeah. arm. Yeah. Yeah, a syringe mm-hmm. left in his in his arm. So sad. It, <sighs> this is what he was afraid of. Yeah. At the age of 22. Yep. He knew this was going to happen to him. That's why, he's, that's why he stopped at 22. Because he wanted to live. He had aspirations to be an actor. And realized that if he, if he didn't stop, he would never be the actor he should be. He would be dead in five years. Or maybe less. It took him from 2012 to 2015? 14. 14? Two years. Two years! And he was dead. They got to take a lot of heroin to overdose like that. Very sad. Uh, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about this. Not only is it, like you said, a tragedy. It's more than that to me. This man was so brilliant, so beloved. And drugs were more important than everything else. That's what's sad. That's what's sad. That's what tragic. That's the tragic part of it is, is and he loved his family. I mean, he did. He. That's where it's tough for maybe people to not understand is, he was a family guy. Like he was, it was really important for him when he was on location or if he was gone for a while, he wanted his family with him. They would have to like go to the yeah. set. They had a rule. He and Mimi like. No more than two weeks apart. Yeah, right. You know, like, he loved his family. What's tragic is, is the addiction took him over for those last two years or so. Yeah. To where 
it was more important than his family. Getting that's high, what's so sad. It's so sad. Getting high was more important than his family. That's how serious it is. It's like, it, it's really heartbreaking. It is. I, I don't even know what else to say about it because if it never took, I mean, if that, whatever happened during that time where he relapsed. Yeah. What the? What happened? doing so good 23 years. That's a long freaking time. That's a long time to be sober. What and happened in his head that made him go, I want to drink? He couldn't handle it anymore. And that's what's sad is you don't know what that it thing was. It may not have been one thing. It might have just been a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just, it all boils over. It, it, it went as simple as like, I'm going to have a drink. It's no big deal in moderation. It's just alcohol. Yeah. And it snowballed into that. To so much more. It's those damn opiates. Those painkillers. Oh my God. I have kidney stones and I get them for kidney stones and it's incredible. I take one or two of them and kidney stone pain is like a 10. It hurts a lot. It takes it away. Completely. Well, sure. But then in, in neither one of us can describe what it's like to be on heroin. Right. We don't know what that's like. And I'm sure what you feel when you take those painkillers. Right. Pain Multiply that probably by a, a thousand. Well, at least. And, and that's what it's like. And if it's that great, nothing else matters. So sad. You know, I, heroin addiction is the worst you can get, obviously. Because it destroys everything around you. I mean, now his, I want to say wife, but his girlfriend, I mean, completely crushed her. Completely. And she says it took years for them to talk about Phil with her kids and not cry. Right. It took years to do that. And getting advice from people, she's like, I don't even want advice. Just leave yeah. me be. Yeah. Let me deal with this shit on my own. You have no idea what it's like. He will be severely missed by not only his family, of course, and friends, but everybody that appreciates great art, movies. Phil Seymour Hoffman is truly an inspiration to us. And we love talking about him in the actor's room with you. It was suggested, and we took it on. It was a lot of fun. It It was very sad. It is. And, I mean, I feel so bad for uh, Mimi and the kids. His poor kids. She did everything she could, Mm -hmm. which is, like, the saddest thing. And if if no one out there has read this article that she wrote, it was in Vogue. Variety, wasn't it? I think it's Vogue. Vogue, okay. And it's heartbreaking because... Well written, very nicely done. Oh, well written, but like so emotional. It 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 really, you you feel so bad because there's nothing she can do, and she loved him so much. Yeah. But when this ad- this addiction took over, she felt powerless. There's nothing she, she, she could have like, done. I knew, I knew that he was probably gonna. She knew he was eventually gonna die. he was gonna die. She just didn't know when. You're right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's so depressing oh, and sad. God, which is watching him die before your eyes. Yeah. Slowly, bit by bit. And nothing, in two years. nothing you can do about it. That's it. You'll be missed, Mr. Hoffman. There uh, won't be anybody like you. I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um I think he was a, a I don't mean this to sound terrible, the dying breed. Yeah. Oh um, wow, yeah, right. He really was. Uh Sam Rockwell, one of his colleagues, one in that same age range, 
he had said he was definitely the best actor of his generation. Yeah. And right. I'll go a step further and say many more generations. Yeah. Uh, you Like I said, I put him up there with fucking De Niro and Pacino and all those other greats. Yeah. Absolutely, I would. Yeah, he's <clears> in the elite, upper tier of actors. Another Hoffman of Dustin Hoffman. Wow. Who, who's, <coughs> who's better? Who's better? What Hoffman's better? <laughs> I don't think we... I don't know, man. They're <clears> two <throat> different kind of they're, actors they're, now. Yeah. They are. But... That's where Philip Seymour Hoffman achieved that in this short amount of time that he had. Yeah. That he could be compared to these kind of actors. And that's saying with something. With not those kind of A-list roles. Those, that too. Those lead roles. Right. That he didn't really do. <clears throat> right. He was able to achieve and do so well. much with some yeah. of the smallest parts. I love the guy. I... I, I, there's not much more you could say about it. Let's just say this. Brilliant, brilliant actor. He loved Broadway. He loved the stage. Um, he ultimately just wanted to do that. And it spawned off. He was just so fucking good that Hollywood just snagged him. And they didn't let go of uh, <laughs> Little Hoffman. Yeah. Um, little. Little guy. <laughs> then he wasn't little. And that's another thing, too. I want to bring up before we end this episode, um, the fact that he was so down to earth. He wasn't about being a celebrity. You know, he lived yeah. in the village. He lived very common. He didn't dress up. Like, you would see him walking around. He looked like a bum. Yeah, that that's something we missed the boat on, is he was very private. Yes. Which we kind of touched upon in the previous episode, but he wasn't one of those to tell you what he thought about stuff. He didn't... He hated interviews. He hated them. Anyone that interviewed him was just like, oh, this is brutal. Mm. Because he didn't really let you in. Mm. He didn't want anyone to know anything about him because he felt that um, if people knew anything about him, they would just think about that. Like whether he had a divorce or something. Right. Like they'd think about that mm-hmm. as opposed to the character he was playing. Okay. So... He made it very adamant. He was very clear. He just wanted to lay very low. Yeah, he didn't really get deep with his life, talking about himself. I, I found that too. I think he liked talking about acting. Mm-hmm. That he loved to do. And I, before we end this, I have a quote sure. by him. Go ahead. Go for it. And I love quotes. <laughs> I love quotes. And this is a quote that I believe that only a it only doesn't apply to acting, but all art fields and as well as life. He says, the minute you start to think something's getting easier in the, is the minute you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Anything that's getting easier is probably something you're getting less interested in. It's getting easier because it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think anything that matters never gets easier because it matters. You do everything you can. Wow. Mm. that's deep dude he takes that with oh, every single man. role and and it applies to life man when you 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 realize when things get easier it's because probably because you don't matter it, it's because it doesn't matter mm. it you you learn more out of strife there's no doubt about it you get more out of it you experience something it builds you up builds character and that's what he was he was a great character people loved him and before we ended too, I want to also mention that before he passed away, 
he would show up to events and there was this one interviewer. They would go to events a lot and he would see Phil at events in the past. And right before he passed, he saw him at an event, but didn't recognize him. Went up to him and said, um, who are you? And Phil was like, you don't know who I am? He goes, no, I'm sorry. What's your name? He, Phil took off his hat. He goes, I'm, I'm a heroin addict. That's what he said. Wow. He goes, he didn't say his name. He just goes, I'm a heroin addict. Wow. Put his hat on and left. And he was so taken aback. The interviewer's like, whoa, who was that? And then he realized it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. And goes to show how strung out, how separated he was. I, it's a very sad tale. Folks, I can't stress enough how the business it has dark places. I mentioned that before, and it could rip you apart. But this is a story about just a life and how he just couldn't get through it. It's a very sad tale. I wish it didn't happen. Millions out there wish it didn't happen, but it did. We'll love his work. We'll appreciate it forever. And God bless you. I hope you're in a great place, man. I w- Do you want to end this episode with anything? Anything to end it? No. No. I think that'll wrap it up, right? Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Dave, for uh, doing this episode with me. It was a lot of fun. Great time. Uh, looking forward to maybe in the future doing some more. Uh, pick an actor or maybe you haven't done is a movie. Pick a movie yeah. that maybe we'll talk about. We'll uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I forgot to mention this, too. Last episode was episode number 75. Okay. Okay. And this was 76. So here we go. Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski. Right across from me is my brother Dave. Thank you for listening and in sharing with us this experience of talking about Hoffman. God bless you. Have a good one.